You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Good to be back. Well be with you, gentlemen. Good dawning to thee. Peace be to France. I've been on a bit of a Shakespeare kick lately. Watched me some Henry V, some Richard III, some Coriolanus. I love Coriolanus purely for the fact that it sounds like the noise a posh person makes when they stub their toe. Coriolanus! Actually, there are a few Shakespeare characters whose names sound like the noise a posh person makes when they stub their toe. Alcibiades! Cardinal Campeus! Baptista Minola! So, yes, that's... that's how I've been spending my time. Well, all good things come to an end sometime, and the Old Dutch Cleanser Contest comes to an end this coming Saturday at midnight. This is the last week to enter and win a brand new 1948 Ford sedan or a share in the big cash prizes. Okay, those big cash prizes have my name on them. My pencil is quivering nervously above my paper. Let's do this. All you do is supply a winning last line for this jingle. Listen. For faster cleaning with new ease, just say, new post-war, old Dutch, please. Just... Say, what? With activated seismatite. With activated... What? Ta-da, 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 ta-da. Remember, all we want is a last line. Hang on, hang on. I didn't write down all the... Ta-ta... Something that rhymes with seismatite. Get a pencil and paper handy, and later on, I'll give you a sample last line to go by. Okay, let's give this a whirl. Give me the three lines again. For faster cleaning, with new ease, just say, new post-war, old Dutch please, with activated seismatite. I really hate the film Twilight. I'll keep working on it. Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for joining me today. I've been on hiatus while I worked on part two of The Adventures of Alfred Hitchcock, which is out now. So do go and grab it if you can. I've been hearing from lots of you who've finished it, and you're all wonderful. Have some Canterbury's. Canterbury. 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 I do want to give a special mention to one email I received a few weeks back. This was from a young lady named Leah Higgs. 
who wrote the following. Dear Adam, I'm just emailing you to say I really love your podcasts and I was wondering if you have any recommendations of classic films for a beginner. I've listened to all of the Secret History of Hollywood episodes and I'm on the third of Attaboy Clarence. The closest thing to a classic film I've seen is Cleopatra, the big expensive one. I also saw the first 13 minutes of The Brighton Strangler because it was on YouTube. I didn't get that far in, but I did get to see Canterbury. Canterbury... She then says, I thought you might be interested that someone who has had no interest in classic films really enjoys your podcasts and is now wanting to watch more classic films. Although I'm listening to you very early on and you're still very excited that people are listening, so maybe now you're used to people who love your stuff. Yes, I'm very jaded now, Leah. I don't get out of bed for less than 20 grand. Of course I'm still excited by this whole thing. I love making these things and hearing from people, as well as rolling around in all the money that I'm not making from doing it. So Leah finishes with, I don't send a lot of emails and I'm not sure if this is the sort of thing you'd usually receive. I hope you have a wonderful week and it's also very nice to hear a fellow Brit doing a podcast for once. If you could point me in the direction of a list of good films for beginners, that'd be incredible. Thanking you much, Lee. Leah aged 15. Isn't that cool? So I did send a brief list of films that I thought would be good to start Leah with, which were Psycho, Strangers on a Train, The Roaring Twenties, It's a Wonderful Life, Foreign Correspondent, Rebecca, Random Harvest, The Invisible Man, The Thin Man, The Lady Vanishes, and Then There Were None, Dark Passage, Top Hat, and Trouble in Paradise. But I am sure you guys can think of a few to add to that. So please, if you're jumping up and down right now at a film that I've missed off that list, send it to me and I'll send it on to Leah. And hopefully that's another classic movie fan we've just created right there. Well, folks, this is your last chance to get in on the old Dutch cleanser jingle contest. You give us a last line only, something to rhyme with seismatite. Okay, okay, I've been working on this. Get your pencil now and I'll give you a sample. Right, let's hear your example. Ready? Both. Hello? Sink. What's happening? And. I'm sorry, is this example in bullet time? Tub. Come. Shiny. Bright. Right, you are. Could you please let me have the rhyme once more? For faster cleaning. With new ease, just say new post-war old Dutch, please. With activated seismatite. My accountant is a hermaphrodite. Okay, just pop that in the post then. And just wait for my big prize to arrive. While we're waiting for that sure thing, I would just like to point your attention towards two things. First up, this podcast was chosen by Whitney Matheson at Mental Floss as a popcorn-worthy movie podcast. I can only assume that being popcorn-worthy is a compliment. So thank you, Whitney. I'll drop a link to that article in the show notes. Some very exalted company I'm keeping there. Secondly, I wondered if you all wouldn't mind dropping in at ukpodcasters.com and voting for The Secret History of Hollywood as they're having a podcast awards shindig thing. I'll put the link you need in the show notes. I know people say it only takes a moment and it ends up taking hours to do these voting things. This one seriously only takes a moment. I'd be super grateful if you wouldn't mind taking a few seconds out of your day and helping it along with a vote. 
You can vote from anywhere in the world. So many, many things. And now, the winners of the four 1948 Super Deluxe Ford V8 four-door sedans in the third new post-war old Dutch cleanser jingle contest. Here we go, folks. Well, Nick, are you going to make the awards? Am I? Mike, I've been looking forward to this all week. Me too. Here are the folks who get those brand new 1948 Fords. Eileen Brassfield of Aspinwall, Pennsylvania. Mrs. Helen Hill McWilliams of 167 Park Street, East Orange, New Jersey. Mrs. Robert L. Perry of Phoenix, Arizona. And... And Mrs. Helen Jane Stage of Farnell Avenue, Chicago, Illinois. Fix. Right, enough of that rubbish. Didn't want to win anyway, to be honest. Didn't want your smelly car and your smelly money. I want to talk about three flipping movies that are definitely worth your time. First film I want to tell you about is a brilliantly hard-boiled noir thriller from 1951 called The Enforcer. This stars Humphrey Bogart as Assistant District Attorney Ferguson, who's trying to bring to trial Mendoza, the head of a nationwide organization of hitmen known as Murder Incorporated. You're going to talk. Do you hear me? You're going to talk. You're not blowing up this case. It took four years to put him in that cell. And when he walks out, he's going to the chair. So you're going to talk. It's the only chance you've got to live. I'm afraid. He'll never die. He'll die, he's got to die, and you're gonna kill him. I can't. Nobody can. He ain't human. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, you go on a stand. When their star witness dies trying to escape from police custody, the case looks lost, and with only a few hours to go before the trial begins, Ferguson and his men look back through the evidence they've collected in an attempt to find something that will help them nail Mendoza. You ever have a tune run through your head and you can't remember the words? What are you getting at? How many people do we speak to on this case? Oh, I'd hate to remember. How many pages of testimony do you suppose we took? Enough to fill a nice-sized room. Somewhere huh. in that testimony, somebody said something that stuck in my brain. Got lost in the shuffle because we didn't need it. We had Rico, but now... I can only remember... What was it? Well, we got nothing else to do tonight. Let's try and dig it out. What follows is an immaculate, suspenseful, and perfectly pitched series of flashbacks that begins with a bloodied, babbling hitman handing himself into the police and stretches through a series of taut vignettes that, when put together, tell the terrible story of Murder Incorporated of how they recruited their murderers, to how they pointed out their targets, from how they disposed of their victims, to how the police cracked the gang and brought it to its knees. The words contract and hit are common parlance in gangster fiction these days, but they actually originated in this film. Now I'm ready for the big stuff, maybe even a killing. Don't ever say that. A murder is a contract. A hit is the sucker that gets killed. Remember those words and use them. Then, even if the cops tap a phone, they don't know what you're talking about. Get that? Yes, sir. Uh, anything else? Yes. Burn that tent you earn and get yourself a suit. 
It was based on the true life case of Murder Incorporated, a nationwide murder for hire organization that was headed by Louis Buchalter and Albert Anastasia that operated in America during the 30s and 40s and which was responsible for almost a thousand murders. The film itself is a very fictionalized account of Murder Incorporated, but it dramatizes the case history in a superb way. And as each flashback plays out, another piece of the puzzle drops into place until Bogart has all the evidence and realizes that he holds the key to bringing this criminal empire to its knees. It's a brilliant film, not as knockabout as the earlier Warner Brothers gangster films, but no less thrilling. It's a little more hard-boiled, extremely well-written and performed, and very, very dark. Bogart is absolutely terrific, and he's backed up by Zero Mostel, Ted DeCorsia, and Everett Sloan, who are all incredible. The claustrophobia crawls in from the edges of the screen as you watch it. It's clammy, thrilling filmmaking and one of the most criminally underappreciated crime thrillers from Warner Brothers. Seriously, if you haven't seen it, check out The Enforcer. You will be surprised at how much it impresses you. Next up, I don't know if there's a film with a weirder pedigree than Quicksand from 1950. It's directed by Irving Pitchell, who played the zombie servant Sandor in Dracula's Daughter. It stars Jean Cagney, sister of Jimmy, who looks exactly like Jimmy with a wig on. You have Peter Lorre as a carnival sideshow operator called Nick Dramoshag. Yes, Dramoshag. Where the actual cuss did someone pluck that name from? Then you have Mickey Rooney as a hard-as-nails mechanic. Great casting there, Mrs. Casting Director. I bet you never worked in this town again. The story is absolutely crackers. So Mickey Rooney plays a little mechanic called Dan, who meets Vera, played by Jean Cagney, at a local diner and instantly falls head over heels for her. Time you get off tonight. 6.30? 7? Don't forget your change. I happen to have my autograph book here with me. Name and address? I'm afraid you've made a mistake. I don't come with the merchants much. Laura, don't be like that. I think you're wonderful. Anything wrong in that? No, but... Well, then how about you and me tonight? Huh? I work tonight. Till when? Till 9.30. You like, uh... You like Red Nichols in his outfit? Yeah, I think they're great. We're playing over at the music bar on the pier. I thought I'd pick you up after 9.30 and... We'd go over and give him a listen, okay? Okay. Well, she agrees to go on a date that night with him, but wouldn't you know it, Dan doesn't have any money. So in order to finance this little romance, he steals $20 from the cash register at his garage. He takes Vera out and everything goes great, but the next day, when he arrives at work, he finds that an audit is taking place and he must replace the $20 pretty cussing sharpish. So he hits on a wonderful idea. He will go to a jeweler's shop and buy a watch on credit. No, seriously, this is still the story. And then he will sell the watch at a pawn shop and use that money to replace the cash he stole. So he puts the money back and everything is hunky-dory. But then an investigator arrives at his work and tells him that he saw him sell the watch and under the terms of the higher purchase agreement he signed, yes, this is still the actual story, he's now liable for larceny. 
So now Dan has to replace $100 within 24 hours. When you buy something on the installment plan, you sign what they call a conditional sales contract. Yeah? This contract says that the watch, the radio, or the easy chair don't belong to you until you make your last payment. It says that if you sell, mortgage, or hock something you don't own yet, you're guilty of larceny. And a $100 watch is grand larceny. That's three years in the penitentiary in this state. So Dan is pretty desperate now, and he resorts to mugging a man on a beach to get some money to pay back the $100, which he does. But then, feeling a little bit cocky, he decides to take Vera out on the town. And when I say on the town, I actually mean a crappy old amusement arcade run by her former boyfriend, Nick Dramoshag. Dramoshag! Played by Peter Lorre, who says a few things Dan doesn't like, which results in Dan giving him a few of the old slaps. But as he's administering the old slappage, he lets slip that he may have had something to do with the mugging from the previous night, and Nicolas Dramoshag starts to blackmail him. Dra- 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 Dramoshag! He doesn't want money, though. He wants a car from Dan's garage. So now, for crying out loud, Dan has to go to his garage and steal a car and give it to Nick Dramoshag. Dramoshag! But in the meantime, Vera has had a really great idea. Why don't they rob Nick Dramoshag's safe, which has $3,600 in it? So they do, and Vera agrees to hide the money until they're in the clear. It can't get any worse, can it? Of course it can. Well, I know who took that green sedan. You do? Yeah. I could tell the police about it right this minute, but I don't know whether that would help me get back the car or not. You understand? No, I, uh, I don't. Now, I'm not interested in sending anybody to jail, Brady. I'm interested in getting back that car. I don't know why you're telling me all this. Oh, yes, you do. An employee of this firm stole that sedan, and I happen to know who it is because it was seen. So next day, Dan's boss tells him that he knows he stole the car and he wants paying for it. Good job they still have the $3,600, isn't it? Only they don't, because Vera has decided to buy a coat with it. So Dan has to go back to his boss and try to talk his way out of it, but he's having none of it. So Dan... Murders him! So now, for Pete's sake, Dan is on the run... For murder! So he steals a car and takes someone hostage, and then the man he takes hostage talks him into handing himself in. I cannot get over the idiocy of Dan the Mechanic Man in this film. It's beyond comprehension. Seriously, Jean Cagney looks like her brother in drag. Was it worth it, Daniel? Your children, be they male or be they female, will look like James Cagney. And when you go to bed at night, the last thing you see will be the old Cagney face advancing on you in the darkness with erotic intentions. This film will befuddle the cuss out of you. You will want to reach into the screen and smack Dandan around the head. Stop being such an ass taxi, you will say to the screen, and it will be one of the sorrier exchanges you have with an imaginary person. Mickey Rooney is so, so wrong 
in this part. He is desperate to be a tough guy, but he has the face of an 11-year-old choir boy. So you spend half the film wanting to pinch the cheeks of this weapons-grade douche trumpet and say uchikuchiku, and the other half laughing at his attempts to go gangster. The longer I sat on that silly stool, the more I felt like slugging somebody. I got a socked old man macking for being so tight. Taxi lady? Where'd you meet her? I'll figure out the fare as we go along. You might overcharge me. I might at that. Hop in, honey. I'm a low down Come on, Vera, let's get out of this crummy joint. I learned to handle them after a while. Think you can handle me? Isn't there anything I can do for you? Yeah, blow. You heard her. Absolutely mental film. Not as mental as the last film I have for you, though. So, a few weeks back, I received a present from a very kind gentleman by the name of James Savage, who's one of the hosts of the marvellous Q Filmcast, a film review podcast that anyone with a grain of sense is already subscribed to. So, a large envelope dropped through my door and I opened it to find a very unexpected sight, a film I had never heard of before, but which instantly intrigued me. James sent this along as a gift, and I'm so glad he did, because it's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. This is a film entitled The Green Pastures from 1936. What did God look like, Mr. Dichet? Well, nobody knew exactly. I remember when I was a little boy, I used to imagine he looked just like our old preacher, the Reverend Mr. Du Bois. He was the wisest and finest looking man I ever seen. What did the world look like when the Lord began, Mr. Dichet? How you mean what it looked like? Carlisle Mean, who was in New Orleans, then. There was nobody in New Orleans. On count, there was no New Orleans. You got to get your minds fixed. There was no Rampart Street. There was no Canal Street. There was no Louisiana. There was nothing on earth. On a case of the reason, there wasn't no earth. The whole world was nothing but a mess of bad weather. So we begin in a Sunday school lesson where a preacher by the name of Mr. Deshay is teaching a class all about the Bible. We don't know just where heaven was at, but Dad was, maybe everywhere. Then one day the Lord said, I think I'll make me some places. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, and he made the earth. Who was around then? Nothing but angels? I reckon so. Oh, they just flew around and had a good time. There was no sin. They must have had a good time. Did they have Sunday school, too? Oh, they must have had Sunday school for the little cherubs. Did they have picnics? Sure. The best kind of picnics. Fish fries with bile custard. Ten-cent cigars for the adults. Yes, sir. I bet they had fish fries every week. From... 
From here on in, we are taken through the most famous of Bible stories as told by Mr. Deshay in Sunday School, from the story of Adam and Eve to the story of Noah and the Ark, from Cain and Abel to Moses and the Promised Land. This is one of only six films from the Golden Age to feature an all-African-American cast, which has led to a certain amount of controversy over the years. I can see the validity of some of the accusations against the film. For instance, no character in this film speaks articulately. Everyone speaks in this stereotypical, beaten-down version of English that is so often and so unfortunately associated with African Americans during this period of filmmaking. Donald Bogle famously called the film the liveliest collection of agreeable Toms, Uncle Remuses, Aunt Jemimas and Corn Patch Pickaninnies ever assembled in one motion picture. And that, regrettably, is a criticism that holds up. There does not seem to be one unstereotypical version of an African-American in this film. Even when it comes to God himself, a wise and benevolent character who is officially named here as Delord. Literally D-E-L-A-W-D, Delord, in the credits. Now, I could sit here and talk about this at length for some time, but there are people far wiser and far more verbally dexterous than I, so I will instead review the film itself, which I actually found rather fun. I'm going to give you two to run of the whole garden, and I want you to enjoy yourselves. Eve, you take care of this man, and Adam, you take care of this woman. Now, don't you all try to do too much, because you both and you kind of experiment with me, and I ain't sure you can make it. Just drink the water from the little brooks, and the wine from the grapes and the berries, and eat the food that's hanging for you in the trees. That is, all but one tree. This is a very glossy, very airy collection of Bible stories with a weird backdrop of biblical backgrounds and 20th century references. For instance, you have the tale of Noah and the Ark, with the Lord appearing to Noah and telling him to build the Ark because he's planning to wipe the earth clean of sinners, who incidentally are all pool room spivs with flick knives and bowler hats. Noah, I want you to build me a boat, and I want you to call it the Ark, and I want it to look like this. I want you to take two of every kind of animal and bird there is in the country. I want you to take seeds and sprouts and put them on that ark, in case there is going to be all that rain. There's going to be a deluge, Noah, and there's going to be a flood. The levees is going to bust and everything that's fastened down is going to come loose. But they ain't going to float long, case I'm going to make a storm that'll sink everything from a hen coop to a barn. There ain't a ship on the sea that'll be able to fight that tempest. They all got to go, everything. Everything in this pretty world I'd made. Except one thing, Noah. You and your family and the things I said is going to ride that storm in the ark. This is actually followed by a brilliant exchange between Noah and God that I'm pretty sure wasn't in the Bible. Uh, now about the animals. You say you want everything? Two of everything. Uh, that would include giraffes and hippopotamuses. Two of everything there is. There was a circus in town. I guess I can find them. Of course, I can get all the rabbits and possums and wild turkeys easier. Just send the boys out. Uh, but I was just wondering. About what? About snakes. You think you might like snakes, too? 
Of course, I want snakes. Oh, I can get snakes. Lots of them. Of course, uh, some of them's a little dangerous. Uh, maybe I'd better take a keg of liquor, too. You can have a keg of liquor. Yes, sir, there sure is lots of different kind of snakes, come to think of it. There's cotton mops, water moccasins, rattlers. Why, there must be a hundred different kind of snakes down the swamps. Uh, maybe I'd better take two kegs of liquor. I think the one keg is enough. No, i better take two kegs. Besides, I can put one on each side of the boat and balance the ship with them, as well as having them for medicinal uses. You can put one keg in the middle of the ship. Uh, it's just as easy to take two kegs, Lord. I think the one keg is enough. Yes, I know, Lord, but you see, 40 days and 40 nights. One keg, Noah. Yes, Lord, one keg. It's hard to be mad at a film that has such a good heart. I'm sure that you can take offense to it if you really want to, but I don't want to. To me, it's just a warm-hearted collection of Bible stories that are told in a rather unorthodox way. The costumes are utterly ridiculous, from the long, trailing beards to the waggling cardboard wings, but it's lovingly performed, especially by Rex Ingram, who appears here as the Lord, a genuinely majestic actor who has all the gravitas and presence of Charlton Heston and Morgan Freeman put together. If you can take a step back from the racial issues, then The Green Pastures is a perfectly enjoyable series of biblical vignettes with a good heart and a rich vein of self-deprecating humour. Thanks, James, for sending me a real curio. Well, along with the green pastures, Hollywood did love to kick out a biblical epic during the Golden Age, didn't it? You had the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and the King of Kings and the Sign of the Cross. Well, the absolute king of biblical epics in those days was Mr. Luck's radio theatre himself, Cecil B. DeMille, who in 1949 directed Samson and Delilah, a very loose take on the Bible story starring Victor Mature as Samson and Hedy Lamarr as Delilah. The film was a mind-boggling success. It took $11 million at the box office, making it far and away the biggest film of 1950, the year of its release. It was actually, at that point, the third most successful film ever made behind Gone with the Wind and The Best Years of Our Lives. Well, in late 1951, the Lux Radio Theatre presented a very high-quality adaptation of the film, featuring the film's two stars. Unfortunately, DeMille himself had departed his role as Lux's frontman by then. But the production itself is great fun to listen to, so let's drift on over there for an impeccable spell with Lux, featuring Victor Mature, Hedy Lamarr, and a whole host of dodgy accents for some beast-battling, hair-cutting, pillar-pushing, Philistine-destroying, God-fearing action with Samson and Delilah. See thou afterwards. A thousand years before Christ, in the village of Zorah, in the land of Dan, lived a man named Samson. There was greatness in him, and weakness, strength, and folly. But with these was a bold dream of liberty for his people, held in bondage by the Philistines for forty years. It is written in the Bible, in the book of Judges, that Samson left his village and went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines and then returned to Zorah, to the house of his parents. 
goats and the sheep can wander and be lost. Samson, my son, must journey to Timnath. <laughs> my mother has more spies than the master of the Philistines. Yes, more than the Saran himself. Brawling through the streets, drinking and dice-throwing with our enemies. I was learning their ways, little mother. You'd do better to learn the ways of the Lord. You're the leader of Dan, chosen judge of your people. And uh, what else have you discovered? That you would marry a daughter of our enemies, a Philistine woman. Yes, oh, it is so. Oh, why can't you be like our neighbor's sons, content to choose a wife from your own village, instead of acting like a stubborn, witless ox? And you would Miriam. harness... You Miriam. would harness this angel to a stubborn, witless ox? <laughs> no, a man must marry where his heart leads him. A man's heart can be blind. Samson, where is he? Samson! I'm here, Father. Here, yes, when you should have been in the village. Philistine soldiers at the well of Zora. Beating our people, mocking our God. I will go to the village. No, save your strength, Samson. Miriam. The soldiers have gone. The trouble is past. Stay with him, Miriam. Ask him to tell you what he's just told to me. <laughs> what terrible thing have you done this time, Samson? Miriam, look at me. You're farther above me than the moon, Miriam. But not as hard to reach. Only stretch out your hand. Well, I... I don't want to hurt you, Miriam. You're like a sparrow, so gentle and so kind. Shall I say it for you, Samson? You love another woman, a woman of Timnath. Yes, I can't forget her. It is the same with me. I cannot forget you. Leave me now and go to your father. A Philistine. Marriage with a Philistine? No. My son would not bring this shame upon us. Her name is Semidar, father. I ask that you go to her father, Tubal, and tell him I will take his daughter to wife. This woman, it has come to me that someone else seeks her, too. Atur, the military governor of you Dan. You know this, and you still desire her? But he Atur is a lord among the Philistines. He doesn't frighten me. Samson, wait. Where do you go? Back to Timnath. To Semidar. <laughs> And Samson went to Timnath, to the house of Tubal. And in the garden he saw the two daughters of Tubal. And one was Semedar, and one was Delilah. In the hand of Semedar was a spear, for on that day there would be a lion hunt, and Semedar would be among the hunters. And Samson beheld her hurling the spear, while on a low wall her sister Delilah sat watching her, and eating the fruit of a plum tree. Great was Semedar's surprise upon seeing Samson. Samson, have you lost your senses? I told you I'd be back, Semidor. The hunting party will be here. The Saran himself is coming from Gaza. Oh, I uh, came to help him kill the lion. You'd rather help the lion kill the Saran? Not until he gives permission for our marriage. You have lost your senses. And my heart. I have been promised to Lord Artur. Even now he is in the house with my father. Then I shall tell Lord Artur that you're... You speak my name. Who are you? Artur. Or oh, do I know you? Oh, yes. There's only one Danite fool enough to climb that wall. The governor of Dan has a hunter's eye. I just told Semedar... Yes, that I the... heard you. You will hunt in my chariot, Semedar. Samson thinks he can help us kill the lion. A judge of shepherds? <laughs> We're very grateful. A shepherd needs to know more about lions than a king. His life depends on it. A shepherd obeys the law. His life depends upon that. And the first law your fathers learned was to bow before Philistine spears. 
You like to have people bow to the might of spears. I like to have spears bow to people. Oh, look! The spear, it, it bends in his hand like a reed in the wind. I have heard of the Danite's strength. He destroys a weapon that he lacks the skill to use. Perhaps Semidar will teach me after our marriage. Marriage? <laughs> your humor's even greater than your strength. Your master approaches, Samson. Perhaps he will see me then. The judge of Dan would do well to leave and seek a bride in other pastures. Come, Semidar. I don't like Artur either. If you'd kill the lion, Samson, they would call you great. I can bend their spears, but I can't outrun their horses. I could get you there first. We have stables. What's your price? Take me with you. <laughs> You're a bold little monkey. What's your name? Delilah. Come then, Delilah. Show me your father's stable. <laughs> Faster, Samson, faster! Hold tight to the railing. I'll hold tight to you. Be careful, you'll fall out. No, I won't. Semidar doesn't love your strength as I do. I'd love to feel the power of your arms. I'd rather feel a wildcat on my back. <laughs> Will you tame me, Samson? I'll use you for lion bait. I don't see any lion. There on the rocks, beyond the cave. Trouble in the lions. I'm afraid. Get up on that rock there and don't move. Oh, look out. God will give me strength. Just stay on the rock. And in the book of Judges, it is said that Samson came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, but he had nothing in his hand. with your hands. Oh, Samson. One cat at a time. What's the matter with you? I love you. That's what's the matter with me. I love you. The Saran. I came from Zora to see the Saran. I will see him here. this girl? My sister, Lord Saran. I do not know how she came here with this... Danite, isn't he? Well, perhaps this little blossom from Tubal's garden can enlighten us. Oh, yes, Majesty, I can. Samson killed the lion with his bare hands. Never has there been such power in any man. So you are Samson, the troublemaker. The Saran knows me. But no good of you. You say he used no weapon? Just his two hands, Lord Saran. He was magnificent. Only a god could do what he did. Well, Danite, you have one worshipper. Artur, examine the beast. Find me the mark of the spear. Look, there is no blood. The wound must be on the other side. Turn him over. Still warm. The body's warm. There is no mark upon the skin, my I, I said there wasn't. Would you have us believe the beast dropped dead from fright? What you believe is your own affair. The girl spoke the truth. I should like to see this strength. Damiskar. My lord, Saran. Listen well, Samson. Of all men, behold the mightiest. Now, say that you lie. I spoke the truth. Gamiskar, break this boaster's bones. I have no quarrel with your warrior. This man has done me no harm. Fight him, Samson. Fight him! Like all boasters, the Danite is a coward. My whip, Gamiskar. Here, let him feel my whip. Then did the giant Gamiskar raise the lash, whereupon Samson did seize him. Over his head, he held the warrior and dashed him to the ground. Oh! 
The hunter's prize is yours. Take my ring, Danite. I would like to name my own prize, Saran. What would you have? My throne? A Philistine bride. If it takes a pretty face to bind you to me, your request is granted. I take the woman, Semidar. My lord, Semidar is promised to me. I have given my word. She is yours, Danite. Go now to the woman. My lord, I, I, I beg you. I... There are other women, Arthur. Look, the sister's beauty is even greater. Could she be jealous of Semidar? My lord, is it wise to have this mad dog in our city? In our city, he may be tamed. If I may speak, Lord Saran, Samson could make no trouble if Artur brought his warriors to the wedding feast. The girl has the wisdom of a serpent. Take her home, Artur, and summon your warriors. Then went they all to the house of Tubal, and gathered their warriors and guests and men of high station, and the Saran declared a time of celebration and feasting. And great was the joy of Samson. <laughs> wedding guest, Delilah. Why do you leave the guests? They hate him, Father. Because he is a Danite? Because he's a fool. Most men are, Delilah. There is nothing you can do about it. Sometimes a bee can move an ox. Well, go now. I would speak to Lord Artur. Where is she? Where is Semidar, Tibble? She has gone to put on her wedding veil, Artur. Uh, well, the, bride, the bridegroom makes riddles, eh? Riddles? New garments for every man if one of us can guess the answer. But there's no reason to his riddle. What is it, this fool's riddle? Out of the eater came forth meat. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. It has no answer. Every riddle has an answer. Only you're all too stupid to find it. I join the guests, Arthur. You will do well to do the same. Find it. Where? How? Not in your wine cup. Sharpen your wits, not your teeth. Don't you see Samson is laughing at you? Laughing at us? He's smarter than you. Has he told you the answer? No, but uh, I know someone who can get it. Who? Semidar. Yes, by Dagon, Semidar. I'll pay no forfeit to a Danite clown. Oh, yes, you will. You made a wager. There are those who'll burn down this house and all in it before they pay. You don't know Samson. It would be much safer if you got the answer from Semidar. Maybe you're right. Women always yield to you, Artur. Now go to my sister. This is nonsense, Artur. Why should the guests care about a stupid game of words? It is no game to us, Semidar. It is Danite against Philistine. You are trying to frighten me. You do not want me to marry him. You were promised to me. There's hatred at this wedding feast. They say you've joined Samson against us. Then they lie. Then tell them. Tell them the answer to the riddle. But I do not know it. Surely Samson would share the answer with so lovely a bride. And if he won't? Get it. Get it, or death may solve the Danite's riddle. <laughs> What's wrong, Semidar? Why, you're crying. All these tears over a riddle. If you loved me, you would tell me the answer. But I am nothing well, to Of course you. I'll tell you. Now listen, if a honeycomb pleases you, a lion will not keep us apart. Honeycomb? Is that the answer? Remember when I last came to see you? I told you I'd passed the bones of a lion. Well? The sun had bleached the bones. The wild bees had swarmed there. And you brought me the honeycomb. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Oh, 
do you still wish to kiss me? Semitar. Semitar. And even as Samson spoke the answer to the riddle, Artur stood in the shadows and heard the words. And when Samson returned to the feast, did Artur rise up and claim the forfeit for every man? You answer wisely, Artur. But only two knew the answer. Myself and Semidor. You're a bad loser, bridegroom. Pay your debt. I'll pay my debt. The same way you found the answer. Let us have peace here. I bring my daughter to be married. Then show her face so all can see. Semidor, who cheats before our wedding's done. The cats from the Timnath alleys could learn much from you. She stands with us. Return to your people. I'll return. But first I must pay my debt. No, no, wait. Let him go, father. But the Saran gave her to Samson. And Samson called her a cat from the alleys of Timnath. This is terrible. He doesn't want her now. But Artur does. Artur? And the bridal chamber is waiting for a bride. Artur, military governor of all of Den. Yes, why not? And as Artur took Semedar to wife, outside the walls of Timnath, Samson lay in wait for a passing caravan of merchants. Philistines they were, much laden with rich garments and cloth. And he fell upon them and scattered them across the desert. And of their stores he took garments enough for each man, but not one more, and returned to Tubal's house. So now you're paid. The lot of you. Where's Semedor? I said, where's Semedor, Tubal? Where is she? But you said you had done with her. You spoke of her in hate, so I I gave her to Artur. Artur? What could I do? You want to know Danite for a son-in-law? Here, Samson, my other daughter. Take Delilah. See how much more beautiful she is than Semedar. Did you ever see eyes like that? So full of love for you. She will grow into a rare blossom. She will grow into a thorn bush. Did a thorn bush steal the chariot that took you to the lion? Did a thorn bush tell the Saran how you killed it with your bare hands? No, I did. And he believed me. Then you chose Semedar. Take your claws out of me. You'll never get them out of you. I made Artur steal a secret of the riddle from Semedar. I lied to stop you. You for marrying him. I'd kill to keep you. You're the only thing in the world I want. Hold this fork-tongued at her before I put my heel on her. If you crush the life out of me, I'll kiss you with my dying breath. And you want me to marry this wildcat? Stand aside, all of you. I go to Semedor. Kill him. Kill I go the to take my Kill bride. Take to your swords. So did they rise against him, warriors of the Philistines. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and they fell before him. Swords and spears harmed him not, nor the blazing torches of fire cast upon him. You came to this house as wedding guests. Fire and death are your gifts to my bride. For all that I do against you, I shall be blameless. I'll give you back fire for fire, and death for death! Now did the house of Tubal lie in ashes and ruins, and among the Philistine dead was Semadar. Only did Artur escape, and Delilah, and her serving woman. Turn away, little mistress. Do not look any more. All you have left in the world is ashes and death. 
Samson lives. May his flesh rot from his bones. Be still, old fool. If it takes all my life, I'll make him curse the day he was born. He called you a fork-tongued adder. He's going to feel its sting. What strength can these little hands have against him? Perhaps greater than a lion's and softer than a dove's. I'll find strength, Hashem. Strength to destroy him! Before our stars return with Act Two of Samson and Delilah, Libby Collins has some late movie news. A wonderful comedy from Universal International called Weekend with Father. With Van Heflin, lovely Patricia Neal, and delightful nine-year-old Gigi Perot as its co-stars. Van and Patricia play two nice people who both have been married before and now want to marry each other. But the trouble is their respective children, including Gigi, who refuse to make friends. I hear Van took quite a beating from the youngsters in the summer camp sequences. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> did. They played all kinds of tricks on him, but he was a good sport. Patricia, I imagine, looks gorgeous as usual. Absolutely stunning. In Weekend with Father, she wears a suit, two riding habits, four cocktail gowns, and six marvelous evening dresses, all designed by Bill Thomas, Universal International's designer. There's a white silk blouse with three-quarter sleeves worn with a sweater, a white turtleneck blouse, and a long-sleeved tailored blouse in bright yellow. All perfect, even for a workaday world, because they're completely luxable. Beautiful fabrics and colors couldn't get safer care. Lux has long been a standby with leading Hollywood studios, and now new Lux, enriched with color freshener, is even better than ever. It seems like a miracle the way whites look white as new, luxing after luxing. They don't turn yellow or gray. And prints look sharper and clearer than ever before. In fact, all colors stay so vivid, so new, you can hardly believe your eyes. You can see why the best-dressed women in the world, Hollywood's famous screen stars, are so thrilled with new Lux. I know Patricia Neal insists on it for all her personal things, because no other soap, no suds of any kind is safer. New Lux with Color Freshener is the perfect care for all the lovely things you wash by machine or by hand. Get a big box tomorrow. Give your washables that fresh as new Lux look. Now, Mr. William Keeley, our producer. Act two of Cecil B. DeMille's Samson and Delilah, starring Hedy Lamar as Delilah and Victor Mature as Samson. <laughs> Samson returned to his people, and none would deliver him unto the Philistines. Flogged with the people of Dan, and taxes levied to destroy them, and their fields stripped of the grain, till at length Samson could bear no more. And he sent forth emissaries to the Philistines, spare the people of Dan, and he would surrender. bound him with ropes and turned their way back to Gaza, back to the Saran, king of the Philistines. Now had the Saran taken unto his favor a new woman, the dark beauty of Timnath, Delilah. Even a ruby loses luster beside your lips, Delilah. 
It will take a sapphire and an emerald together to match your blue-green eyes. I've known the ways of many women who fill the veins with fire, but only one Delilah. My lord has given me many gifts, but none more precious than his favor. I bring you more than gems, Delilah. Samson is our prisoner. Even now, Lord Artur returns to Gaza. I've waited a long time to hear those words. Uh, what will you do with Samson, my lord? We might hang him by his heels from your balcony. Or what would you suggest? Make him turn the grist mill, whipped and driven like an animal, where all Gaza can mock him and laugh at him, humble him, bring him to his knees. But I thought you once admired this Danite. As I admire the gutter rats of Gaza. Chain the lion killer to the grist mill. Yes, why not? Anything. Only let me be there to watch it. They were yet some distance from Gaza, Artur, his soldiers, and their prisoner, and a storm was brewing in the sky, and the clouds grew black, and the soldiers of the Philistines paused and found shelter. My jester has come to amuse you, Samson. You see what he brings? A skull. A skull of an ass. He moves the jaws, and behold, a voice speaks. Unconquerable leader of the Danites, defender of the invisible god, the ass salutes you. Eeyore! Eeyore! <laughs> Perhaps he would pray again, Jester. Yes, let us hear you pray, Samson. Eeyore! Eeyore! Your pledge. Your pledge to my people. My lord, he can speak. Words come forth. Has the pledge to my people been fulfilled? They will not starve. As truly as you are bound by ropes, our pledge to each other is fulfilled. Then hear me, O Lord my God. Hear me. Gird me for battle against the swords of my enemies. Oh, great skull of an ass, hear me. Forsake me not, O Lord, but strengthen my arms to destroy them. Oh, the sky blackens and the thunder rolls. He prays for a sign after the sign appears. Let them see thy power, O God! The ropes, look, they break apart. Is God turning? Is him the book of Judges, it is written that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bonds loosened from off his hands, and he found a jawbone of an ass, and he took it, and he slew a thousand men therewith. And you expect me to believe this, Lord Arthur? One man defeated all your soldiers? Never did mortal man fight like this, O Saran. His strength was greater than any instrument of war. What weapon had he? What weapon? More shame to us, Majesty. The jawbone of an ass. A jester's toy. The vultures circle over Lehi, Saran, and Samson is gone under the hills. Lord Arthur, military governor of Dan, Hakim of armies, beaten with the jawbone of an ass. I asked for 10,000 men to crush the Danites for all time. Instead, you send me tax collectors. Our taxes delivered Samson into your hands. It was you who could not hold him. This Samson has some unknown power. No man can stand against him. Perhaps he'd fall before a woman. Delilah. Even Samson's strength must have a weakness. 
There isn't a man in the world who will not share his secret with some woman. This one is clever, Arthur. She speaks truth. More men have been trapped by smiles than by ropes. Then perhaps she knows a woman who could entice this barbarian, this killer. I can deliver Samson to you. Such devotion touches me, Delilah. What would you gain by his capture? My lord's favor. You have that already. No, there must be some other way. When my father and sister lay dead in the ashes of our home because of Samson, he laughed at my tears. You cannot refuse me, my lord. What promise do you ask? I will learn the secret of his strength. But when he stands captive and is weak as other men, no drop of his blood shall be shed. No blade shall touch his skin. By the sacred pillars of the temple, I demand his death. I want his life. Chain him to the gristmill. Let him grind our grain like a beast. Let the people mock him and make sport of him until he draws his breath in agony and every word he speaks is a prayer for death. You have my promise. My lord is the wisest of kings and the greatest of men. As a king, I have no choice. As a man, I am letting you leave because you want to. King of my love, I go to destroy your enemy and mine. Delilah. Delilah. My love is only for you. Could not a man who could stop the heart of a lion stir the heart of a woman? I will deliver Samson to you before the month of harvest. Samson had retired to the hills of Dan. But frequent were his descents into the valley, and many were his prizes, the rich caravans of the Philistines. And the spoils of the caravans were spread among the people of Dan, for Samson had said, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. Therefore it came to Delilah to make a caravan, soldiers and camels, and to journey into the valley of Sorek, for this was the valley that Samson and the men of Samson had been known to favor. Look at it, Samson. As fine a prize as I've ever seen. Yes. Stay behind the rocks, Sal. They'll see enough of us in good time. It's getting dark. We'll make camp soon. Yes. The pool by the temple ruins. I still don't understand why the soldiers left. Why would they leave, Samson? Why else but to search for us? We will wait for darkness. Sal, come now. Back to the hills. <laughs> Yes, mistress. I shall spend the night here. Forgive me, mistress, but our men are not too few. You will take them all and leave. Only the camel driver shall remain and uh, my servant, Hysham. If the Danite is watching, he will know you are helpless here. I know. Lord Atu and his soldiers are waiting by the Scorpion's Hill. When the time comes, I will send for him. Now go. When the moon was high and the shadows filled the temple ruins, did the men of Samson descend. Then did they lead off the camels of Delilah's caravan, and did Samson enter the tent, and there beheld a woman with a veil. Don't cry out. I won't. Are you afraid? Of a woman, yes. Hmm. Your caravan is rich. The jewel box is in that silver chest. Your husband, where is he? I have no husband. Your table is laid for two. For whom do you wait? I'm expecting a caller. Who? You, Samson. You know my name? All Gaza knows your name. They don't like it, I'm told. They respected it. 
before the mighty Samson became a common robber. And Delilah became the great courtesan of Gaza. No, I'm stupid, Samson. To think I could deceive you. Steal what you like. This is not stealing. Your saran taxes us. I tax the Philistines. Where is the rest of it? Not far away. I will hide nothing from you. The oldest trick in the world. A silk trap baited with a woman. Do you know a better bait, Samson? Men always respond. Of all the women in Gaza, why did the saran send you? I asked to come. Why? I knew you'd yield to any other woman. <laughs> and you came here to save me? No, I came to betray you. You could bind a man tighter than the saran's chains. Could I bind you? No, you're going back to the saran. The only way you can be trusted. Oh, will you kill me yourself? You could crush me between these two hands. Why don't you? I told you once I'd kiss you with my dying breath. Your kiss has the sting of the death. I don't believe you could kill me. Try. <laughs> You're afraid to kill me. I'll let the devil do that. I know you will, but don't make me eat supper alone. May I call my servant? If you wish. Hysham. Yes, mistress? I'll go back to Gaza at daylight. You'll leave tonight. Oh, we're leaving, Hysham. Have the men load the camels. What camels? His bandits have stolen your camels, and the drivers have run to the hills. How can I go, Samson? I'll have your camels brought back. Why not bring them yourself tomorrow? Because when my back's turned, you'll send for Artur's soldiers. I couldn't send for anyone if you were with me. Hysham, pour the wine. So did Samson linger by the ruins of the temple in the Valley of Sorek. And the night waned, and still six other nights. And it came to pass that on the seventh night, Samson and the woman sat by the pool in the cool of the rushes. And now what are you doing? I'm weaving. I'm weaving seven green reeds for seven days. I'm weaving you a crown. <laughs> a lion with lilies in its mane. Oh, this crown shall have a secret power. For its wearer or its weaver? Oh, only a secret can buy a secret. I have no secrets left to tell. No? You've never told me why you are stronger than other men? Is it some herb you mix in your food or some charmed oil you rub into your body? What would you do if you knew? Bind you. Why? So you could never leave me. Delilah, about my secret... No, I will not listen. You ask me to tell you. I no longer wish to hear it. But you've plagued me for days to tell you that... The night I came to this valley of Zorik, you wanted to send me away. You were right. It is better that I go. There is too much between us. You still fear me more than you love me. I don't fear you enough. You don't trust me enough. I love you enough. No, Samson, no. I don't want to be armed with a weapon to destroy you. Weapon? That wouldn't be a weapon if you really loved me. Oh, Samson, how can there be any doubt left in you? If there is, I'll end it now. My strength comes from him who shaped the earth and who gave life to all things that dwell upon it. Your invisible God? Yes. But how does his power reach you? Is he here with us now? He's everywhere. In the wind, in the sea, in the fire. In your heart, if you believe in him. And can I share this power with you? Anyone can share it. As long as he keeps faith with the Almighty. Many of my vows I've broken. But one I've kept. A vow has made you strong? Oh, it's much more than that. 
Do you remember the lion I killed? I'll never forget. The strength of the lion makes him king of the beast. And the great ruff of his mane is the mark of his power. The shield of his strength. Samson, this is the mark of your power. Your hair. And if it were shorn from your head... I'd be as weak as any other man. You believe that, don't you? From the beginning, the prophets taught me so. Your power is in your hair. Look how it curls around my fingers. Black as a raven's wing, wild as a storm. Shall I pull it out and steal your power? How can you steal what is already yours? Come with me to Egypt, Samson. We'll not be Danite and Philistine there. Only Samson and Delilah. And nothing will ever take you out of my arms. If only you and I were... Mistress, the Danite's friends. His friends are here. What friends? I saw and Miriam. Miriam? She brings news from Zara. My mother. How did you leave her? Chained to a post and whipped. Your father stoned. Philistine swine. There is killing and burning in every village. While this woman makes you drunk with her kisses, the Philistines murder your people. You're falling into Artur's net, Samson. The Philistines strike your people to get you. Your mother cries your name, Samson. I will make myself ready. I will go to Zorro. No, no, Samson. This milk-faced girl with her cow's eyes will lead you to your death. You love him. It is in your face when you look at him. You want him for yourself. Yes, I love him. In his face, I see all that is strong and good. His name is like a cry of hope for us. His face, his name, shadows on the wall. You think that is love? I love him as a man of flesh and blood. He is not leaving you for me. There is a higher voice that speaks to him. I cannot fight against his God. But no woman will take him from me. Then did Samson send forth Miriam and Saul, and he said unto them that he would follow. He would tarry in the tent of Delilah for but a moment. You called me Delilah? Yes. The wine of parting is bitter, Samson. Not as bitter as blood. You cannot wipe away such love as I have given you without even a farewell. I have a new debt to pay the Philistines. Then I'll come to you in Egypt. No, Samson. You belong to Miriam. She's the good in you. I'm the weakness. The love that would enslave you. I'll never be free of you, Delilah. When you are gone, my arms will be empty. My world will be empty. Delilah, the wine you gave me. Delilah, the wine. Isham. He drank the wine? Yes. <laughs> Tell the Lord Artur's messenger, I have the secret. Before we bring you Act Three of Samson and Delilah, I'd like to present a guest who went from UCLA to Paramount simply because she had her picture taken for Christmas, Nancy Hale. Now, suppose you tell us the rest of the story, Nancy. Well, Mr. Keeley, when I went back to pick up my photographs, an agent there insisted I go to Paramount for an interview. Then came a screen test and a contract and membership in Paramount's golden circle of promising young players. You visit the sets, of course. Yes, studying acting technique is part of our training. 
I was especially interested in watching the film Detective Story. Yes, the screen version of Sidney Kingsley's highly successful play has been made into a wonderful motion picture. As a relentless detective, Kirk Douglas prosecutes criminals so vigorously that he wrecks his private life when he discovers his own wife, played by Eleanor Parker, once made an unfortunate mistake. The great cast of Detective Story also includes William Bendix as a detective with a heart and five of the original Broadway cast. I understand Eleanor Parker made a quick trip to New York to see the play before starting the picture. Well, how about that, Libby? Yes, she did, but not so quick that she didn't get in some shopping. She picked up some beautiful French handmade lingerie that's so exquisite she'd hardly dare wash it if it weren't for Lux. Oh, I'd trust anything to Lux. Anything that I can put in water. Well, that's the way Eleanor feels about Lux, too. And so do scores of Hollywood screen stars. New Lux, enriched with color freshener, is more wonderful than ever for delicate colors. Pastels positively glow with new beauty every time you Lux them. Don't get faded and washed out looking. And white things stay just as dazzling white as new. Nylons, silks, rayons, cottons, too. Thank you for coming tonight, Nancy Hale. We'll be looking forward to your screen debut. When New Lux with Color Freshener made its debut, thousands of women rushed to try it. And they said, there's never been anything like it before. Why don't you try it for the lovely things you wash by machine or by hand? Get a big box tomorrow. Give your lingerie all your nice things that fresh as new Lux look. We pause now for station identification. This is the CBS Radio Network. Curtain rises on Act Three of Cecil B. DeMille, Samson and Delilah, starring Victor Mature as Samson and Hedy Lamar as Delilah. And it came to pass that when Samson awoke, the hair of his head was shorn and bound were his arms in chains. And around the tent were the soldiers of the Philistines and within the tent were Artur and Delilah. The Lion of Dan, shorn as a you. You've done well, Delilah. But remember, no blade shall touch his skin. No drop of his blood shall be shed. Why don't you call on your god now, Samson? I've betrayed him. You would not hear me. I could have loved you with a fire to make all other love seem like ice. I would have gone with you to Egypt, lived only for you. But one word from that den-eyed lily and you run whining at her heels. No man leaves Delilah. You trusted her? Burn her image into your memory. She's the last woman you'll ever see. Guards! Yes, Bind him to the pole of the tent. And you, Sharif, bring in the fire. It is here, Excellency. The brazier of flaming coals. And in them the blade of your sword. Your punishment, Danite. If you cannot see us, you cannot harm us. If I have no strength to fight, I will need no eyes to find you. The sword. Take it from the coals. Yes, Excellency. Sharif, you know the bargain of our master. No blade can touch his skin. Now, hold it before his eyes. <laughs> Oh, 
And thus was Samson blinded and could see no more. And then did his enemies bring him to the city of Gaza and cast him into a pit in a prison house, chained to a great grinding stone, even as Delilah had wished. And there did the prison keepers beat on his back with scourges, and the people of Gaza spat upon him and jeered. And there, too, came the Saran of Gaza and the woman Delilah. Listen to them. By their yelps, you'd think they'd felled our lion themselves. He has not dared to look at me. He cannot see you. I'll make him see me. Stand back, mistress. Stand back. Let the woman go where she will. Master, you pig of a danite. Show them how I've taught you to grind the corn. Well, mistress, does our new ox please you? Bend your back, you danite scum. He's blind! Well, Delilah, did you make him see you? He can never see me again. Does that disturb you? I had your promise. No blade touched his skin, no drop of blood was shed. You! You played with words to robbing of his eyes. It was you who betrayed him, my love. Not I. He was captive in chains, yet the lord of the five cities could not show him mercy. Did you show him mercy, Delilah? You wanted vengeance. You have it. Great was the torment of Samson's flesh, but even greater was the torment in the heart of the woman, for she had seen the evil she had done. Then in the deep of the night, Delilah went forth to the prison house, and with silver did she bribe the guards, and there, alone, did she see Samson kneeling in the pit, and she heard his prayer. I am despised by all men, O Lord. They mock me, saying he trusts his God to deliver him. You are my God. Be not far from me, for there is no other help. My strength is melted like wax, and my heart is dry of hope. I am blinded and among enemies. Oh, Lord. Oh, my strength. Send me your... Who... Who's there? I... I can hear you. Samson. I prayed for an angel of the Lord, and the devil sends me you. All I want is to comfort you. Let me come near you. You were near me in the valley of Sorek. I would give my life to undo what I've done. Let me be your eyes. Through my eyes, you will see again. Through all the long darkness, I prayed that you'd be delivered into my hands. I'm here. I will not cry out. God has not forsaken me. His will be done. Samson, your chains, they are broken. Your strength has come back. Your God has answered you. He did not forsake me. My God has not forsaken He's me. He's made you free. I will find the swiftest camels in Gaza. By midday, we can be in the land of the pharaohs. God did not give me back my strength to run from my enemies. You cannot fight what you cannot see. Oh, judge of the earth. Do not let me forgive her. My arms will hold you again. And when I curse you for my darkness... I will kneel and ask for forgiveness. Vengeance is yours, O Lord. Strike or destroy her, for I cannot. My love, my love. Delilah, Delilah, when my eyes could see you, I was blind. Oh, Samson. Samson. We must hurry. They will be coming to take you to the temple. The temple? That is today? Yes. They'll humble you before the great idol Dagon. They'll bind you between the two sacred columns. They'll scourge you. They'll... Two they'll... columns? 
The temple stands between two columns. So close I may be bound between them. Yes, but Egypt has a thousand temples, each more beautiful than the other. I will stay here. Do not enter their temple today, Delilah. Oh, Samson. I will stay till they take me to the temple. And Samson spoke no more, and Delilah wept and left the prison house. And Samson restored the chains to his body and was led to the temple of Dagon. For on this day did the Philistines seek to appease their idol with all manner of ceremonies and the beating of cymbals. And Samson was placed in a dungeon until he would be led before Dagon and humbled. And it came to pass that certain of Samson's friends had journeyed in disguise to Gaza, for they knew of this day. And among them was Miriam and the youth called Saul. Samson, who does I, Saul? Saul, Saul, how did you come here? Never mind, we've come to free you, to take you home. There is no home for a leader who fails his people. We'll always follow you, Samson. I've led you a crooked path, Saul. Perhaps someday you will guide them, join them together and be their first king. Me? A king? Saul, Saul, I, I hear many voices. Is their temple filled? Like wheat in a shock. Then go. Take the others and depart. No, no. We can't leave you. If you've ever loved me, Saul, go back to Dan. And even as Samson spoke, Miriam had gone to the Saran in the temple. And seated with the Saran was Delilah. You chance much to seek me out? Why? You're a king, a conqueror. I ask mercy. Mercy? What have you done? I ask mercy for a blind and helpless man. Samson can harm you no more. He has lost everything but the love of his people. Let me take him back to them. But he is not my prisoner. He was conquered by a woman. If she wishes to give him to you, she has my permission. Delilah, once in the Valley of Sorek, you said you loved him. What whimpering lies do you tell our king? You want him for yourself, to hold him close and comfort him. You want to bear him children. I'd rather see him dead than in your arms. Take her away. So was Miriam cast into the street, even as Samson was led from the dungeon. And there in the great courtyard of Dagon did they torment him, beating him with whips and prodding him with sticks, until at length Delilah could bear no more. They are devils. No, they're very human. The weak always band together to pull down the strong. He will never kneel to Dagon. There is great persuasion at the end of a whip. No whip will break his spirit. Either he kneels to Dagon or he dies before him. I will go to him. As you wish, Delilah. But if you go to him, you cannot come back to me. Look at him! Look at him! Yet did she go and armed herself with a whip. And all present shouted her name, for they thought that Delilah had come to do Samson still more hurt. But in her mind there was a plan, and though her lash was sharp, her words were soft. That, that voice, it's you, Delilah. I must hurt you, my love, that all may see. Forgive me. I warned you to stay away from the temple. When I strike, catch hold of the lash. You will lead me to the columns. He leads like a goat. Lead me to the columns. How many more steps? Not many, dear love. And the altar is there? Yes, and on either side, the columns. Who stands there? 
the high priest of Dagon. Give me your hand. Here. Here is the column. And here is the other. The house of the temple stands on these columns? Yes. Yes. You spoke to the Danite? What did you say? I told him to kneel, Holy One, to humble himself before Dagon. Let him be scourged until he turns from his god. Go, Delilah. Go, Delilah. Now while you can. No. Death will come into this temple. The hand of the Lord will strike. I'm not afraid. Scourge him to his knees beneath the feet of Dagon. And the crowd roared with a frenzy, and the priests of Dagon beat him with scourges. But Samson stood between the columns, and he bowed not. And on each great column he placed a hand, and lo, did the columns move. And a mighty rumbling was heard even over the voices of the Philistines. My eyes have seen thy glory, O God. Now let me die with my enemies. And as he spoke, the pillars fell before the might of his arms. And the temple crashed about him and upon him, and about and upon the Philistines, and upon the woman Delilah, who would not leave him, and who perished there at his side. On a hill outside the walls of Gaza, there were two from the land of Dan who heard and saw and knew what had transpired. Who is so strong? Why did he have to die, Miriam? His strength will never die, Saul. Men will tell the story of Samson for yet a thousand years. And that was Samson and Delilah from the Lux Radio Theatre with Hedy Lamar and Baker McGyar. The thank you section is a bit ridiculous this time. So many of you have been getting in touch and sharing and putting the word out and reviewing the podcast. You're all amazing, and I appreciate every email, every kind word. So to the following folks, a 1980s high-five, a Canterbury, a kiss on the lips, and a heartfelt thank you, thank you. Gary Marshall, Jim Gordon, Danny Horn, Grindhouse Dave, Gary Bond, Derek M. Koch, Michael O'Connor, John Scrabini, Peter Mahoney, Kelly Zanyi, Dylan Steich, Clarkson Fisher III, Noya Changwa, Blake Petit, Tarek Sharif, Andrew Schwartz, Jennifer Stoloff, Ian Evans, Michael Glasper, Nick Vickery, Scott Bow, Naomi Rawlinson, Jeffrey Morgan, Michael Brannan, Anne Patrick, Queen Molly Bones, Robbie Palanco, St. Crocoduck. H.O.N. Podcast Boys Will Bro Jr. 36 Scott Lamond Sparky Wright Andrew Humphrey Charisse Benton Beth Ann Gallagher Weekly Geekspeak 
Zach Eastman, G.D. Thompson Esquire, Lee Howard, Kevin Moore, Apostrophina, Simon Anlazak, Will Collins. Alison White, Simon Munn, The Worcester Film Festival, Anthony Cosgrave, yeah! Jordan McGrath, Adrian McKinder, Mike Baker, Ollie Patterson, Chris White, Rob Elliott, Nate Green, Wilson McKell. Dan North, Nelly there, Ian Luxford, Ron S, and David Robinson. Machine Gun Canterbury's to you all. Not a man left standing. Okay, so that's the show for this week. I'll be back next week with films featuring a weights and measures investigator who punches people, a movie star who punches people, and a dentist who punches people. What do they all have in common? They're all played by the one and only James Cagney. So do join me. If you have a spare few moments, do leave an iTunes review and please leave a vote at ukpodcasters.com. I'll see you next week. So until then, bye for now. And try not to stub your toe. Coriolanus. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.